I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Today's podcast has been sponsored by Libro.fm Audiobooks. Libro, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated lists from people like me who know books best and also from local booksellers. You can go on Libro.fm playlists and look at the Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books playlist and go from there. If you enter code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, you'll, at checkout, you'll get three audiobooks for the price of one. So please check it out. Z-I-B-B-Y, three audiobooks for the price of one. I'm here today with Joanna Guest, who's the author of Folded Wisdom, Notes from Dad on Life, Love, and Growing Up. A graduate of the University of Arizona with a master's in public policy from Georgetown University, Joanna left her career in politics to write this book. She currently lives in New York. Welcome, Joanna. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. So much fun. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Can you please tell listeners what Folded Wisdom is about? Of course. So Folded Wisdom is a illustrated story. I like to throw in the word illustrated to give people a sense of how much color is in the book. But it's an illustrated story. Did everybody get that? There's a lot of color in this (laughs) It's illustrated. (laughs) It's colorful. And it's the story of the morning notes my dad wrote to my brother, Theo, and me every morning before we went to school. So the notes started in 19... Not to give our way our ages or anything, but they started in 1995 when my brother was in preschool and I was in the second grade. Oh my gosh, I'm um, so old right now. And they, okay. <laughs> so sorry. And they continued every morning, every school morning from then until we both graduated from high school. And I think the the book is obviously centered around my dad and kind of the story of how he managed to write these notes and what the lessons were inside. But I would be remiss if I didn't shout out the unsung hero of the whole thing, who's truly my mother, who managed to, after all these years, save them somewhere in the house. I think that, you know, you send kids off to school with a piece of paper, and if it's like for the teacher, you still don't think that they're going to like get it to them. And you certainly don't think that a piece of paper folded up in a lunchbox is going to make it home but make it home they did. And they were in our backpacks and our pockets, and my mom sifted them all out. And somehow, I think my like back of the envelope math says that he probably wrote us like 4,800 notes, and we have a little more than 3,500. Amazing. So it's very wild. And tell me how you decided to make this into a book. So it all started actually in 2009, My dad's best friend from college, Scott, is an artist. He's an illustrator. And he has a good friend who writes or or kind of publishes this art magazine called Asopus. And Asopus is very cool. It's like no editorializing. There's no ads or anything like that. It's just presenting creative expression. And Scott was like talking to Todd one day and was like, hey, I've got this friend, Bob, who writes these morning notes to his kid. And like, God bless Scott, because I don't think he had ever seen our notes. Like, it's not like my dad was like, hey, Scott, check out this note I wrote to Joanna. Like, this was not a thing that he knew, but but he believed in my dad and knew my dad and knew that he was committed to this process and was like, I think that they would be really cool. 
So Scott asked my dad if, like, we could get a collection of them. And uh, my dad then, of course, had to go through and ask Theo and ask me and ask my mom if we were all okay with it. And I think that I was in Australia at the time. I was studying abroad. And my dad called and was like, so what would you think if, like, a couple of your notes were published? And I was like, my notes? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, sure, but, like, do we have any? Like, are they around? Do you know where they are? And, like, would anybody want to read my notes? And he was like, I don't know. Scott has this idea about it. And so, you know, one thing led to another. We started talking to Theo about it. Theo was still receiving the notes. So I think for him, it was, like, definitely more of a hurdle to get over. And, you know, he talked to my mom, and he was like, do you have some? And so the sign-off happened, obviously. And next thing I knew, I got this copy of this magazine when I was in college. And I opened it up, and there were, like, notes from 1995 in it. And I was like, where did these notes come from? My parents live in an old house in Brooklyn still with a very precarious basement. And I was like, Mom, like, are these safe? Like, you have these somewhere? We don't have, like, safes in the basement that she's, like, storing them in. So I was like, where are all these pieces of paper? And she was like, oh, you know, I just, I have them. And so I was like, okay. And so it was a really, like, surprising moment that we had these notes going back. And I think that that was what sparked the fire of hopefully doing something with them someday. But I truthfully thought that I would just digitize them and organize them and that would kind of be it. And then I would have like peace of mind that they weren't going to get lost in a fire. And then fast forward to 2016, I took a leave of absence from my job and I went out to Nevada and I worked on the presidential election as People may remember there was a big election in 2016. And so November 2016 came about, and the morning after the election happened, and I met my mom. Actually, it was the evening after the election. I met my mom for, like, three bottles of wine at the local bar, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next and trying to figure out what I felt was good still in the world. And I was just trying to to understand what was happening around me. And I was drinking and I was like, Mom, I just like, I just want a note from Dad. Like, I just like need need some reassurance that everything's going to be okay. And so I'd kind of say that's what pushed the idea. I was I, over the edge to be like, you know what, if now is not the time when... So I decided to pack up my life in D.C., move back from Nevada to D.C., pack up my life in D.C., and I moved into my parents' house. I was like 30, so it was a move. But I moved back in, and I started organizing the notes, and I started reading them and realizing how much of them had these ideas that were, you know, universal and important and comforting and felt like they were worth sharing. So the book kind of became something that went from a, you know, digitizing project and organizing project to something more. Did you talk to your dad in the aftermath of the election? Did he end up giving you any good advice at the time? It's funny, actually. After the election, he he's big on Instagram. Not like he has a big following, but he's, like, really into it. And he did, like, a series of drawings after the election of, like, him processing his thoughts. Sort of like seven stages of grief in a way, almost. But they're, his classic drawings are very, like, as opposed to the colorful drawings in the book, are very black and white kind of crosshatch-style mm-hmm. pen and ink. And so he did a bunch of those. And I think that, you know, he has an unshakable sense of optimism, which comes across throughout the book. And yes, of course, I talked to him after the election, and he was scared, and he was nervous, and he was sharing his love with me and telling me that we were going to get through it. And that was the message that kind of permeates throughout the book as well, you know. The part about the book being illustrated, Uh which was, I know you mentioned it right away because it is so important. Even with us saying it, I feel like it isn't 
conveying how beautiful the book is because when you were describing even in the book I didn't realize that the cover at first was the folded up versions of the notes I thought it was like oh this is a pretty cover Uh but your dad's notes not only do they have lovely insights and you categorize them by events and by emotions and advice and all these other ways that you have found to organize like structure the book which I found very interesting too but just the visual element alone was so unique Mm -hmm. so describe how his artist background mm-hmm. and how he folded up the the notes to make them so yeah. visually arresting and how a pile became such a beautiful work of art. So the notes actually, they started for a number of reasons and I, I can go into the, the many theories I have as to why this was a perfect storm that worked for my dad. But one of the main reasons I think is my parents met at Pratt, which is an art school in Brooklyn. And after college, they did a lot of different things, but I think that ultimately they ended up opening this exhibit production business and they're still doing it to this day. And what they do is they build exhibits that focus on other people's art. And I think it pulled both of them away from focusing on their own art. And I think that there's a part of him that is, that was at the time, especially feeling a little disconnected from his own art. And he's always been someone who drew in sketchbooks and, and expressed himself that way. And I think he was looking for that. I think the the notes ended up getting folded because they started off when we were young and we brought lunches to school, right? So they were just folded in half or a couple times and put in our lunch boxes. But then when we started fifth grade, we moved into a new building and there was a cafeteria at school. And so I no longer had a lunch box to bring with me. And so my dad had to figure out a way to give me this piece of paper, which again is like a very scary thing to send your kid off to school with and you don't really necessarily think that they'll read it, that they'll keep it, that it'll survive, you know. And so he figured out this way of folding it so that I could just kind of throw it in my pocket or put it somewhere and and that it would be this process of unfolding it. And it was just kind of prepackaging it. You know, it couldn't be in the lunchbox anymore. So here it is. And it was a clever way to do it because it, it, I think, actually preserved a lot of the notes in many ways because they weren't open to the outside elements. You know, I would fold them back up after I finished reading them. And it's basically like origami. It's very origami-ish. I mean, it's a, it's the way it's folded is a work of art in and of itself, yes. plus the colors that he used yeah. and everything. So in the back of the book, there's actually yeah, like a, a section that teaches you how to fold the notes. I know. I was thinking, should I try this? But <laughs> I could try it now. Yeah. <laughs> I try it. It's not with like necessarily any piece of paper, but you know, yeah. you can pretty much It has much to be a certain it. size. It's a certain you size that works very well. Guidelines. Yeah. Meanwhile, I like scrawl a a note to my daughter on our only notepad I could find this morning, rip it off and like shove it in. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Joanna's dad is like making works of art. And it's like all I can do to say, have a good day and shove it in a lunchbox. He definitely kept these CVS tablets like in business for a while because he was buying them like nonstop. We have tons of these CVS tablets. But anyway, getting back to kind of the the color and the illustrations of it. You know, one of the other reasons the notes actually started was because my brother was in preschool. We went to Montessori school for preschool through kindergarten. And, you know, Montessori school is, like, so funky and different. And my brother was really obsessed with the metal insets table, which is, like, this table where you basically use, like, various protractors and different shapes. And you, like, outline them and you color in the layers and stuff. And what he was not interested in was going into the reading corner And so his teacher was like, you know, Theo, they were trying to figure out ways to kind of push him into this corner and get him interested in reading. And so Anne Prescott, who was my brother's teacher at the time, said, you know, Bob, I know I know you're you're an artist. Like, what would you think about just every once in a while writing a little note to Theo and putting it in his lunchbox 
And maybe we could use that as like the, hey, Theo, let's read the note from your dad today. And that would kind of start to push him towards reading. So I think, you know, Theo at the time, it would push him towards reading, but it was also because Theo, Theo couldn't read yet. You know, he was so young. He was learning how to read. And so many of those notes are just filled with drawings and drawings sometimes that have a few words on the page and drawings sometimes that are centered around, you know, there's like the classic note that says, go Theo, go. That's like a, um, it's like a secret code that he actually did at school. So there are all different ways that he was trying to put words on the page, but also make it interesting because he was like five or whatever. And so I think that then as he started writing to me, because he was like, well, if I'm writing to Theo, I have to write to Joanna. This is like ridiculous. I can't just send Theo to, with something. I think I probably found one note and was like, Dad, yeah. I need this. What about me? <laughs> and so he started writing to me too. And I think that, you know, I was only in second grade and I wanted pictures too. I wanted drawings and and so then it just kind of evolved. You can tell as the notes get older that they're much more word heavy, but he never stopped also including illustrations. Every once in a while, there are notes without illustrations. But for the most part, it was just part of the expression was drawing a heart somewhere on the page. He drew a lot of owls. There's a lot of like faces of his and Theo's and stuff. And so your dad should really sell these as templates because I buy, <laughs> sometimes I buy these little lunchbox notes uh-huh. where like each day it's a little different. He should take the drawings and like X out the note so you can yeah. write your own note and then sell like Monday through Friday and like, I know, I have cards. A, he should do that. I have a friend that was like, maybe you could just find like the best lines from every note and you could just put them down on a little piece of paper so I can just take them out every morning yeah. and give them to my kid. <laughs> like great idea <laughs> yeah you could have like the little quote at the bottom and then you yeah, say and then, like, like the parents a heart are, from yeah. the mom or love something. you yeah. <laughs> let's just make things easier for moms yeah. please like yeah no I think that cool. there's we should do that yeah there's a I mean the book is is so colorful and fun that I think there are a lot of places to go with it you know one of the bigger hurdles to get over when we started this was that like Nobody knows who I am and nobody knows who my dad is. You know, he's not somebody that has a persona out there. And so it was about getting people to care about who we are and why they should, you know, give a crap that this guy wrote his kids notes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there was a level of, as I was pulling the notes together, realizing that I, I had to do a little explaining so that there was a person behind there and there was a story behind it that made it compelling. And from here, who knows, you know? We'll see. Did you get pushback from the publishing world about the fact that nobody knew who you and your dad were? I feel like there's all this focus on having a platform. and. Yeah, I know. I was like, I don't have 20,000 Instagram followers. Like, am I going to be able to make this work? No, nobody really pushed back too much. I think that there was, the notes speak for themselves. So it's really about being able to just get them in front of someone. And once they see it, I think they're like, oh, this is incredibly interesting. And like, it's almost made, for being such an an extraordinary task, it's almost made more human and possible by it being someone who's just like your average everyday guy. He's above average in my eyes, but like, you know, he's just a guy. And so I think that there's something compelling to me about that. But yeah, it was, I think it was a a factor. It's probably a reason that it, it, maybe took a little longer for it all to come about, but no, it wasn't incredible, but here it is. (laughs) Which is great. I just wanted to read one of my favorites from 1998 from your dad. 
Every day I try to be the kind of guy worthy to be called dad. And when I sometimes fail, I stumble and flail. You know I'm feeling sad. We're only human, you and me, with all our problems here to see. So no use getting mad. I'll try to understand you. If you try too, we'll both be really glad. That's so, so cute. Sweet. I love it. I love like sometimes he rhymes, sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. How he mixes it up and just so honest, you know. They, yeah. There's all this focus I feel like now and parents being able to say, hey, you know, I messed up this morning and mm-hmm. parents mess up too and it's okay and right. I'm sorry. We're only human. We're only human. Yeah. This is perfect. So I would put this on my little. On your little card. On my little card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, there are a lot of notes that, that again, were part of the reason why I ended up deciding that this was actually something I could share because they felt so universally appropriate and applicable and and important to think about. I think that we live in a time where we all look for like the differences among each other. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone that, you know, you're always, you you learn something about someone and then you're blocked off from them or, or you don't think about what you could possibly have in common. And I think so many of his notes were grappling with and, and talking through the idea that there are so many human qualities that are are very universal and are very much things that we all are, are struggling with or thinking about or working through. And I think there was a little bit of a, a hope, especially as we got, I mean, I think we were pretty young when that note, usually some of the cuter rhyme ones are, we were pretty young, but I think there was a little bit of a hope that we, that we understood that he was going to make mistakes too. And that we were just like you said, like, you know, I, I screwed up this morning or there are a lot of notes that talk about that stuff like that, but you know, that, that he was putting his best foot forward. So he would hope that we would too, and that it could kind of push us along. And so, yeah, I think that that's, that's a perfect example of a note that is, is just kind of at the core, the heart of the whole thing. You know, it's just this this guy who is trying to express himself, trying to say, I love you and trying to be like, listen, I'm a human. I'm doing the best I can. Thank you for doing the best you can. I love you. There's also something nice, and I don't know why, but there's just something particularly nice about it being from a dad versus mm-hmm. a mom. I mm-hmm. don't know why. Not that this book wouldn't also be great had your mom illustrated that. Yeah. I don't know. There's something so special about that. I mean, I don't think you always see men as often being so vulnerable. You know, I, I think about a lot when we started this process— you know, and like the Esopus conversation, getting the notes published in general, that was like, do we want to share them at all? And then this became even sharing even more, Mm -hmm. you know, there was like, is it, am I sharing too much by sharing all of these notes? And I think that my dad had no, he had no plan for writing these with any thematic organization. He had no plan that they were going to come home. He had no plan that they were going to be saved and shared. And I think that is one of the many reasons why he was so open every time he started writing. He was very vulnerable. He was very just top of mind. He was very willing to express himself in a way that maybe you wouldn't if you knew that they were going to be shared someday with the public. And and maybe that's something that, you know, you think of women journaling maybe more than you think of, you know, young guys journaling. And that also probably really stemmed from art school and from the fact that at Pratt he was always carrying around a, a little notebook with him and he was drawing and he was writing about 
you know, I don't know if this is going to work out for me and I'm in love and what do I do now? And, you know, he was writing those things down in a very diary-esque form. And so he was comfortable with that in a way that I think that, you know, I'm not even comfortable with often. There's also something, I know so much of our communication these days is electronic and Mm -hmm. we have all these emails, but I don't know about you, for the people who I've loved and who I've lost in my life, the first thing I feel like I do is an inventory of what notes or letters mm-hmm. or cards. Yeah. And I like frantically like stockpile them and make yeah. not not a shrine of but you know, I like what do I have? What's yeah. left of what's evidence, you know? Yeah. And so there's something about these notes in particular that speaks to that sort of longing for the connection that you can only get with something. Like, I don't go and print out emails from people who have passed away. Do you know right, what I mean? yeah. Like, it's not the same. I, I yeah. don't even know where to find them. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's in like, the cloud. I don't know. I don't, where are the emails from, like, yeah. you know, 1997? I have no idea where they are. But a birthday card that, you know, a dear friend wrote or my grandmother's letter when she told me I was, like, gaining too much weight or, like, all these things. Like, I, lo- I like, love having them. You want to have them. I want to yeah. have them. Yeah. So it's so special he did this. And I think it's such a good point of encouragement for us all to, like, take the extra few minutes and mm. do something with our, you know, with our hands yeah. and not, like, with a text or, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I cherish, not even people who passed away, but, like, my own parents are alive, and I love finding postcards my dad mm-hmm. wrote me when I was at summer camp. And yeah. It's just so nice. There's something very sincere about, like, writing on paper. I think I was talking to a friend about how, in high school, we all knew each other's handwriting. Mm-hmm. Because, totally. like, you knew yes. what, you, you were changing notes with each other or whatever, or, like, you were writing notes to each other in class or anything. Like, I I could tell you, spot in the lineup, all of my best friend from growing up's handwriting. And my friends today, I don't necessarily know all of their handwritings. I mean, I think I know some of them, but not, not all of them. And it's because we don't write as much, right? We don't put that down on paper. And there's something very sweet about even an email, you know, they're edited. You can edit it. Mm-hmm. And the written word, you you can't always. I mean, I'm every once in a while, I'm sure he started writing and crumpled up a piece of paper and threw it away. But most of the time, like, there's misspellings, words are crossed out, things are changed around, thoughts change mid-sentence, you know, and it's because you can't go back and change things. You're just putting it down on paper. And sometimes that means it's very, you know, stream of conscious. And sometimes they're a little bit more put together. But it's a really sincere form of expression that I do think is is maybe making a comeback, but definitely an important one to cherish. And so crazy to think that all literature was written by hand until so recently. (laughs) I know. I mean, even a typewriter is different because even that you couldn't make as many mistakes. Right. And whatever. So... It's just recently, I wonder if there will be some essay in the future, the effect of modern-day computing on literature output. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine writing this book without a computer and a a process like that. And you said you you had to involve this whole complicated software system to categorize all the notes. Yeah, it was crazy. One of my dad's friends actually built us a software program that was, like, very specific. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not for sale anywhere. It was, like, just for us, and it was very simple. But it allowed me to scan the notes transcribe them and then tag them in different ways. Wait, so why I could, is like, that not a business? <laughs> it should be. I have bags of yeah. letters from camp in my closet on the floor. I like, mean, we I, should probably do, be doing it with other things in my life, but for now I just have the notes in the system. But it's true, it's a very right? good organizational thing and now I can open up this program on my on my computer and I can type in, you know, weather or I can type in That's amazing. tough loss or I can type in Joanna 
you know, 1995 to 1999 because they're all dated. And, and so it's this really amazing way to sort through the collection. And it was super helpful as I was writing because it allowed me to sift through these 3,500 notes in a way that was like plausible. <laughs> Do you feel that having a dad like this has made you have really high expectations for the type of dad. If you want to have kids, I know, I know you don't have kids yet, but assuming, you know, do you have now escalated expectations that yes. anybody you're with could yes, pull this off? Yes, has to be my, my dad. No, you know, I think that a lot of times when I would show the book to someone or if I'm talking to someone about it, they're like very focused on the idea that they could never do that. Or sometimes parents are like, I should have done this. Like, why didn't I do this? And I think that, Again, there, there's a very specific set of circumstances that led my dad to writing these notes. He is an artist by training. He was comfortable writing on the page. He grew up in a family where he had one conversation he remembered having one-on-one with his own father. My grandfather died when my dad was 23. He had, like, you know, a deep desire to have a relationship with us that was more than that. And he loves the morning. He loves being up before everyone else. He loves having that time to himself and thinking and and just being by himself. So he would wake up at like 5 a.m. when the rest of us were still asleep. And and so he had this time where he was able to reflect. With an alarm clock or that's when he wakes up? Just wondering. I think that he had a, like, I, I feel like my parents had one of those old alarm clocks that turn on NPR in the morning. (laughs) So, like, I would sleep through that today, but, like, I think that that's what works for him. So he would wake up like that. Although now I think he pretty much just, he's like a, he's a routine guy, like, wakes up when he wakes up. Whereas I could sleep, if nobody woke me up, I would, like, wake up at noon. You know, like, I'm just, like, I could sleep the whole day. And so it really worked for him, and it was something that was, was important for him and became a part of his life and and an outlet for him. It was like as important for him to write as it was for us to read them. You know, like he felt like it was such a big part of his day. And so I don't necessarily have any illusions that anyone I meet is going to be able to do this. You know, my, my partner currently does not plan on writing notes to our future children. But that said, I think that I value creative communication and I value the willingness to be open and vulnerable. And whether or not that means that you have a tough conversation or you write really amazing birthday notes or you are good at going on long walks and expressing yourself, you know, whatever it takes, I think that it's really important. I'm better, for instance, like I'm more vulnerable if I write if I write myself, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm typing or if I'm writing down things, like that is how I, I'm better at expressing my feelings about any given situation. If I get in a fight, I do way better if I like text things down on a, a yeah. note on my phone or something and then have that as like a resource to look at. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I feel like sometimes I'm, my thoughts get jumbled. And so that's better for me. But other people, like, they can't do that at all. They, they're much better just talking and flowing through their ideas, you know? And so, yeah, I think that it, I, I never shied away from introducing significant others to my parents. It was always something that happened early on because it mattered to me that my, that whoever I was with had a good relationship with them. And, you know, I was like, check out my cool parents. They're not embarrassing. They're fun. And you should meet them and don't be intimidated by them because they're great. But no, I don't have any expectation that notes are in my future or my husband's future or anything like that. 
And what's coming next for you? Are you inspired to write another book after doing this? Is this like a one and done type of thing? Are you going back into <laughs> on the campaign trail? What's uh, your- I am not hitting a campaign trail currently. I work in the city. I work for a company called GLG, which is a business-to-business platform that connects professionals who have questions with experts who have the answers. I do comms for them. It's been a really nice return to just like, a normal job life for two years of my kind of prime age of working. I was at home with my parents writing. uh, And so I'm happy to have health insurance and a 401k again. I have so much hope for this book. I feel like, you know, it's a It's an evergreen, as they say in the industry, I believe that's the term type of book. It doesn't, it's not about a specific time in history. I mean, it is about a specific time in history, but it's not only applicable to a specific time in history. And so I think it can grow and I look forward to watching it grow. It's coming out, actually, I just finished yesterday editing the galley for Folded Wisdom in German which was a fun process because I don't speak German. So it was really like kind of some some details here and there. And every once in a while, I'd see something that was like still in English. Like I texted my cousins who live in Iowa or who are from Iowa that they they kept in English farm in Iowa. And I was like, no, no, there's not there's not a specific place called farm in Iowa. My cousins grew up on a farm in Iowa. So you can lowercase that F and probably translate it. But anyway, I edited it. So it's going to come out in German in April. It's going to be called Possenbrot Weisteiten, I think is the name of the book. Rolls right off the tongue. Rolls right off the tongue. (laughs) And so I'm looking forward to watching it grow and seeing what's next. I think that if you asked me five years ago, 10 years ago, if I would be on a podcast talking about the notes that my dad wrote, I would say, you know, not a chance. And so life has been unpredictable and exciting. And and I'm, you know, I have no idea what's to come. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Well, as someone who never expected to be an author, I remember I was talking when I when I first met with the publisher who runs Celadon, which is the the publishing house that, that did the book. She was like, have you ever written anything before? And I was like, well, in college, I had to write a thesis. And in grad school, I also had to write a thesis. They were pretty long. Like, they were like 50 pages or something, you know, but that was kind of like it. And so, I don't know. I feel like I'm in no place to really give give advice to anyone because I didn't go to school for this and I I didn't, you know, I don't have any background in it. But I, I, I remember when I was writing my thesis in, in grad school thinking that the most important, after having, you know, remembered my experience in undergrad, that the most important thing was to write something that, like, I wasn't going to be bored by. Because if I got bored with the topic, then I was going to be like totally screwed, right? Like there was going to be no way to get through the process. And so I remember thinking like, I just have to come up with something that like will keep my interest because there's going to inevitably be parts of this process that really suck. And like, you know, there's going to be red lines and edits that are really difficult to handle. And there are going to be parts where I'm like, oh my God, am I still talking about this? So I have to have my, in my core really like what I'm doing. Otherwise it's never going to work out. And I'd say that that's what happened with this book. This book was natural to write. It was it flowed very easily because it was something that I cared so much about. And, you know, I think in the beginning I had friends who were like, you have to think about, like, why, you know, that same question. Like, why was anybody going to care about Bob Guest's writing his kids? And I had to have faith that, like, it was interesting to me and maybe that would make a book that became surprisingly interesting to someone else. And I wasn't going to tailor it to be the type of book that someone else wanted to read. I was going to make it the book that I knew that me and my family wanted to read, my family and I wanted to read, (laughs) and go from there. 
Well, it's great. And it's a gift and it's beautiful in and of itself, but also a great reminder to all of us parents that something so little we do can have so much meaning in your kids' lives. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks to Libro FM for sponsoring today's episode. Remember to go to Libro FM, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M to get your next audiobook, support a local bookseller, and enter code Zibby for three audiobooks for the price of one. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at Zibby at ZibbyOwens.com. Thank you.